Hey, emos. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to make a request of our Canadian listeners. Uh, the ethnic cleansing of Palestine perpetuated by the Israeli state and its occupying army is continuing, and we are obligated to do what we can to stop the genocide. I would like you to join me in calling your member of parliament and voicing your support for Representative Matthew Green, the NDP member for Hamilton Center, in his drafting and tabling of a private member's bill to stand for justice in Palestine. Matthew Green has been one of too few members of parliament standing up for Palestine in the House of Commons, and we owe it to him and Palestinians to voice our support. While you are doing that, please also mention your support of the Assembly of First Nations recognition of Palestinians as an indigenous people, their recognition of the ongoing genocide as settler colonial violence, and their emergency resolution to call for a permanent ceasefire in Palestine. Thank you so much, and on with the show. everyone and welcome back to so emo i fell apart a podcast dedicated to all things emo and pop punk from the naughty oddies and today i am one of your hosts ria i am your other host chloe and what are we getting into to today chloe um panic at the disco part fucking four because <laughs> we tried to be finished talking about it and then had audio issues and god said you have to talk about brandon yuri for at least one more I am hour so fucking sick of talking about this man <laughs> Like I, I don't so want to do it anymore. I don't want but to. <laughs> we're so dedicated to being good, diligent podcast hosts, academics, if you will. Yeah, and finishing up the history of Panic at the Disco to not leave you on a cliffhanger, which I'm sure you're all aware of what fucking happened with Panic at the Disco. A few but things. We are nothing if not. What's the word I'm looking for? Not responsible. Completionists. <laughs> I Completionist. guess. That, that's a good one. So yeah. last we left off with you around what feels like a year ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which it was last year. It was technically <laughs> last, last time, year. <laughs> the last time we talked about this man. Um, and we left off with the end of two uh, weird to live, two late, where to fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that one. And we are moving on into the death of a bachelor era. Oh, aren't you excited? Are you so don't thrilled? Want to die. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Well, okay, I do, but no. I don't. I don't, but I do. <laughs> All right, we're gonna do it. But we're I will do say, it. I, in the grand scheme of the post-split uh, Panic albums, Death of a Bachelor like is the one I think I listen to the most. It's good. It's like I think probably the the last like good good panic album um i mean there, like not to say that it has no skips because like there's skips on this album there's but like there's definitely skips but it's it's like decent i can listen to listen, it listen if you sample the b52s in a song i'm gonna fucking listen to it true like you got me there like yeah. the best part of that song is the b52 I mean, sample yeah <laughs> it is <laughs> but it's good uh it good building blocks yeah so um anyway (laughs) so brendan entered the studio alone wistfully alone free of dallin weeks no none of his old compatriots to be found Mm -hmm. in april 2015 and he said that this album was inspired by his own life at home with his wife sarah and described the sound as a mix between sinatra and queen which honestly is not wrong he was like pretty accurate yeah that's like that one that is really what it is 
And I do actually really enjoy the Sinatra sound in it. But I feel like comparing yourself to Queen is... It's dangerous. Like, he's... It's something that he's done his whole career because, like, obviously, like, they were doing their cover of Eleanor Rigby on their first ever tour. And then, like, Brendan also later on, like, post-Death of a Bachelor did a cover of Bohemian Rhapsody for the fucking Suicide Squad movie. Yeah, I saw him perform that cover live. It was rough. Yeah, because he doesn't take care of his voice, so he can't do that. But, like, it's... Like, that's not really new for him. He had been doing that a lot and, like, really clearly wanted to be doing, like, the queen orchestral big sound, big voice to varying degrees of success. I have a conspiracy theory, which is um, he is mad that Adam Lambert was chosen as the replacement lead singer of Queen, and oh, he fully believed that he deserved that role. Mad. He absolutely and- thinks that that should have been for him. <laughs> He 100% is like, that should be me. No, it should be Adam Lambert. Because Adam Lambert takes care of his voice and knows how to sing. Well, not that Brendan doesn't know how to sing, but you know what I mean. And also, and I've been saying this since 2008, um, Adam Lambert should have won his season of American Idol. Obviously. That's just a human condition. We all recognize that fact. Chris Allen should never have won. That was that season, right? Yeah. And Chris Allen knew it. Because when they said Chris Allen was the winner, the first thing he said into his mic was, it should have been Adam. Like, I, it was the, the last vestiges of early 2000s homophobia yeah. that prevented Adam Lambert from not winning American Idol. Yeah. And, like, Chris, it, it wasn't even like he lifted up his microphone and said it. Like, he just, like, had a mic near him. So, like, you could hear him saying, like, to Ryan Seacrest, like, no, like, you were supposed to say Adam's, like, you know? He was, like, he thought that it should be Adam. And I, he was right. So, whatever. I've been mad about it for my entire <laughs> life. I could tell. I was on Oh No, They Didn't American Idol. Like the- Of course you were. Spinoff community. <laughs> and I was in that comment section like, no. <laughs> like, homophobia has won again. <laughs> Justice for my boy. I miss Oh No, They Didn't. I know it's still around, but like, it doesn't, it's not- it's not the same. And it's still on Live Journal, but it's not the same. Yeah. We gotta do an entire episode. I don't know they didn't. Yeah, truly. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. So, anyway. Brendan <laughs> Back to starts, talking about this man. <laughs> Brendan starts <laughs> releasing singles, like, sporadically, with Hallelujah being released in April of 2015, shortly after its completion. Victorious releasing in September. The Emperor's New Clothes dropping alongside the album announcement and the title track Death of a Bachelor releasing on December 9th, almost a full month ahead of the album release. The like lead up to this album, like I remember when we first recorded this episode, I was so confused with my timelines because I feel like I've been listening to this album for like a full year before it actually came out. And you had. Yeah, I don't understand what the logic was behind deciding to do it this way it feels like a desperate cling for approval from the larger music industry as a whole and trying to prove to himself that he still has a grip on pop music and all the alt radio stations additionally like just trying to stay relevant as long as he possibly can almost like he didn't know that like it was going to be an album yet so he was just kind of like dropping songs as they were finished 
Yeah. And then kind of, like, later on was, like, oh, I have enough for an – you know? And, like, I don't mm-hmm. know that that's what happened. Like, I'm – I mean, I'm – Obviously, was, all speculation. He was under contract, so, like, obviously there was going to be an album. It mm-hmm. just feels like he was kind of, like – You didn't know when the album was going to happen. Yeah, he was just kind of, like, okay, finished one. Here we go. Like, it's finish like another one. Trying- here it is. It's like when you're writing fic and you post a Whip Wednesday yeah, <laughs> with no intention of ever finishing the fic, but and they were finished songs. Everyone on Twitter is like, okay, when is that coming out, though? And d- radio silence. Yep. Never. Not telling you. Which is so weird. And then they he proceeded to go on tour with Weezer from June to August of 2015, playing the singles from the still unreleased album. Yeah. Which is a weird move to do. Uh-huh. Like, cool. Like, it makes sense for Panic! at the Disco to go on tour with Weezer. It does. What doesn't make sense is that it would not coincide with an actual album release. Yeah. And so I'm trying to remember, like, I definitely saw Panic! open up for Weezer. I'm just, like, forgetting, was it actually 2015 that I saw them? Or was it 2016 that I saw? It was, like, 2016, right? No? See, again, I'm getting confused with the they, timelines. It's it's so confusing. <laughs> they were touring uh, in 2015. So maybe, yes. Okay, yes, it was 2015. The, the years of 2015, 2017 are just utter soup to me. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot going on in my life and then. Um, but yeah, I definitely saw him go on tour, on that tour, and saw him because Andrew McMahon also was on that tour. And that was yeah, the main reason why we were there. weird group of people. Yeah. That okay, so that tour was weird because it brought in a million different kinds of demographics of people. So you have like, because Andrew Man fans are split into I think three different groups. Mm-hmm. One, emos that followed Andrew from Soko days. Yes. Two, and then you also have like the I don't want to say basic white girl because like that feels derogative, et cetera, et cetera. But like a very specific kind of sorority, college aged to early 20s girl who yes. got into pit, who got in through Jack's mannequin mm-hmm. and uh and Andrew Man in the wilderness and stayed there and then you also have dads who love Andrew McMahon it's fully those the, like those are the three kinds of people who listen to Andrew McMahon yeah like parents in general who like love Andrew heard Cecilia and the satellite at the grocery store and were like oh my god this is it yeah. Um, so it was that group of people who were there for Andrew that then shuffled out for the Panic fans, which were people who are like me, who are original Panic fans. So definitely people who were like in their 20s to early 30s there for Panic. You could tell who the elder emos were in the crowd, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And 12 year olds yeah. who really liked Panic at the Disco. There was a girl yeah. who made her own t shirt in the crowd with oh, like written yes. on like song titles like going all the way back to fever you can't sweat out on it and i was like you need to be in front of me your mom is a bitch in this crowd right now but like you <laughs> need to be here like that, that girl needs to be in the front row front row um and which sucks was like all the songs that were written on her shirt were from our songs that he was never gonna play ever again yeah uh and then there was the weezer crowd which was like aging hipsters who definitely still dress like the older version of what we considered a hipster from Womansburg to be in like 2010. Yeah. Uh-huh. So like hot by librarians and like <laughs> guys who graduated their Zelda shirts from the Coles one to like maybe a Yeti tee yeah. Zelda shirt, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and that was the crowd and it was fucking 
weird. Yeah. Like, that must have just been, like, such an interesting mix. I don't know. They were doing, like, inter-emo diplomacy, basically. Yeah, it felt like um, Model UN. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Poor emo. (laughs) Like, all of you guys get in a room and make nice with each other. Yeah, uh, and I remember that he only played three old songs. Mm-hmm. It was it I, it was nine in the afternoon. It was Camisado, and it was I write sins, and that was it. Him playing Camisado without Ryan always felt weird to me. Yeah, because like that's the that's about Ryan's dad. So like mm-hmm. it's just very like Maybe I know don't that, play that you one. like had a hand in writing this, obviously. And that you guys, like, made this together. So, like, sure, like, your name is on it. But, like, I personally would feel weird writing or singing a song that was, like, so personal to someone else who I've since had a falling out with. Yeah. Like, I don't know. No, it, 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 just because you have a credit on the song, maybe doesn't mean that you have to play it. It's just bizarre to me. I don't know. But we also know he doesn't really have, uh... The emotional rage or level of empathy to really understand that because he's ultimately a very selfish person. Yeah, he's so. (laughs) (sighs) So the album is officially announced on October 22nd via a Facebook post. Mm -hmm. Um, Brendan wrote, when I was a little kid and I heard a song I liked on TV, I would jump up and run to the piano to try and figure it out by ear. When I was 10 or 11, I built myself a drum kit in the garage made of empty laundry detergent buckets, old lawn chairs, paint cans, and old trash cans. Around that time, genuinely, (laughs) around (laughs) that time, my parents got me my first guitar, a baby acoustic. I jumped between all of these instruments constantly to satisfy the ideas I heard in my head. At this young age, I realized that music would play a huge part of my life. I had no idea. Death of a Bachelor is in honor of those times I spent alone as a kid, allowing music to consume me playing everything myself just to get the idea right and out of my head. It's the beginning of a new era, and it's an homage to how it all began. This album is me running to the piano, building a drum kit, strumming a guitar. Some things never change. Two days after this post, a fan tweeted at Dallin, did you leave panic? Because, <laughs> like, obviously, <laughs> Brendan is making it sound like he's doing this all by himself. Dallin said, nope, still here playing bass like always, just not contributing creatively anymore. Getting that toy musician check. Yeah. Which he... Wasn't great, given what Dallin has spoken about. <laughs> yeah, but, like, it seems like the tour musician check was not a whole, like, a lot of money. It was not really enough to support his family on. No, it feels like he was not getting the actual tour tour musician wage that everyone else got. No, or even the studio musician wage, because I'm pretty sure that Dallin was, like, the one playing the instruments, but whatever. Probably. Um, At least playing bass. A couple months later... Just ahead of the album's release, Brendan described the recording process and Spencer and Dallin's exits in an interview with Mixdown Magazine. Um, I never fully questioned it, he says, referring to whether or not he would release this album as a solo artist or under the Panic name. For me, Panic at the Disco has always been carte blanche. I can do whatever I want. (laughs) There are no rules. Being in this band has been the most exciting part of my life. I never want to leave. Members of this band have come and gone just because they wanted to do something different. For me, though, Panic was always so unique and different that I didn't need to explore any other avenue. I never needed to make an excuse to break off and do something else. Fuck. Hearing this quote again makes me so angry. Anyway, continue. He's just such an asshole. Spencer and I are still great friends, says Yuri. 
people come, people go, and people change. I don't want to seem like I'm speaking on behalf of anyone, but it's just been a matter of people losing interest in what the band is. Weeks, on the other hand, is a slightly more curious case. Although he is no longer in the creative fold, he decided to stay on as a touring member of the group. Dowlin has been playing with us for a long time, and I'm so grateful for that, says Yuri. Sometimes you try working creatively with people, and it doesn't always work out the way you think it will. In this case, it ended up just being better to have someone to tour with. It's an oversight sometimes, but you have to have people that you connect with and get along with. Touring can be long, and it can be intense. You need people who will see you through that. Dallin has been that for me. I am hitting this man with hammers. <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm sure he's been that for you. Not, not to incite cartoon violence on <laughs> this podcast. Um, I'm inciting uh, cartoon violence. I'm painting a big train tunnel on a brick wall, and I am <laughs> pointing him loony- towards it. And I'm saying, can you run as going- fast as you can at that, please? And I'm going Looney Tunes on his ass. Flattening him into a fucking pancake. <laughs> I don't, given how much we have talked, like, about Panic's history and, like, what it means to be a musician, what it means to have a creative project, what it means to try to have a creative foothold as an artist and creating your own unique voice at a very young, impressionable age. And like the comings and goings of creative differences as you're growing up with people in like a pressure cooker of a situation. Mm -hmm. We don't need to, we don't need to relitigate that. So like, I don't feel like we need to completely describe and go into every single detail of why this is so shitty. But no especially because we will be getting more into why it was shitty later on with like how dallin was treated and dallin's experiences in panic at the disco um yeah which sound like they weren't great um no it's just i don't know like the he comes off as very self-aggrandizing he comes off as very um nothing's my fault as and him like, saying panic is carte blanche for me like it was like i can do whatever i want here it's like yeah clearly you think that because like you have been doing whatever you want at the expense of everyone else who's ever been in this band like it's the brennan show and it's wild that that's his perception of it when he was brought on last to be in the original iteration of panic at the disco yeah and it's like not to say that like since you were the last one to join and since whatever that you're not a real member of the band, but it is like this. The band wasn't your idea. It wasn't your thing. Yeah. It's like you were brought in and then you were like, this is only mine now. It's like, well, no, like you do have to share it with everyone else here. Mm-hmm. So, like you're like, playing with the Legos wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you really are. Like you took the Darth Vader Lego piece from everyone else and smashed apart the Millennium Falcon thing that everyone worked together to build. Mm-hmm. Like, <sighs> he makes me so angry. Anyway, yeah. while too weird to too weird to live, too rare to fuck has gotten uniformly <laughs> positive reviews, that the Bachelor was more mixed. The fan response, however, was a largely positive. This was another new direction for Panic. Maybe the first since Pretty Odd, introducing an old timey Vegas croon where previously their throwback sound had leaned more toward vaudeville. It did unfortunately invite some deserved comparisons to Michael Blueblay. However, like Michael Blueblay. <laughs> Buble, Michael Bubbles, Michael Bubble, Michael Bubble. Uh, <laughs> Do you guys have I bubbly will... down there? Bubbly water. Oh yeah, it's okay. a cook product. Oh okay. Did did you guys get like the Michael Buble bubbly? Uh, yes, we I did. <laughs> yes, we did. Fuck. Uh, that was some I of the best say... advertising I've ever seen. <laughs> no, it was really good. 
Uh, I will say when it comes to the comparisons to Michael Bublé, like, sure, it is there. I will say that doing the Sinatra Vegas, like, jazz room singer is arguably the most successful sound that he crafted for himself because, one, it sounded the best because he was actually singing in his range. Yeah. Like, pitching his voice lower instead of forcing himself to do like falsettos all the time and mm-hmm. these really long sustained belting numbers that were destroying his voice ha- like had repercussions versus the sinatra style sound which his voice is more more built for at this point in his life and sounded really cool like yeah. it it again like sure it like it, we said here like it it my brain is farting <laughs> it was something new it was something new that sounded good and was successful and then he was also on top of it being like i still need to sound like queen mm-hmm. so i mean i i i do really like a lot of the songs on this album and i really like the ones that i think invited the most michael buble comparisons like i really like impossible year i think that's, that's a good song a good song house of memory also a good song house of memories is so good and it's like the ones where he's like doing like his lower range where he doesn't sound like he's straining himself so hard mm-hmm. it's just like oh like this is nice even and death of bachelor is a great song yeah well the high notes in that are like it, it feels like a very natural progression to get to those notes it's like a really good mix of peak and valley versus like okay here's the part where brendan has to show off like it's like a good song mm-hmm. um and I do think that, like, the mix of, like, that crooning sound with, like, kind of the seedier, like, what everyone thinks of when they think of Las Vegas influence, like, it works very well. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, th- this is, like, one of those things where it sucks because it's, like, you seem like a shitty person and you seem very difficult to work with and you are so talented and... Obviously, this is subjective. He's taken his talent in a direction that I just cannot enjoy, that I don't understand how anyone can enjoy. Because to me, it is bad. It is a waste of the talent and skill that he has. Mm -hmm. It is sad for me to watch. But I mean, this album, I I do still like, I do still listen to fairly regularly. Yeah, I I won't lie. Like this album, I listen to all the time, summer 2016, Mm -hmm. because... I it was like the perfect length for I would listen to the first half on my job on my job on my drive to my shitty comic book job mm-hmm. and then I would listen to the ne- the back half of the album on my way back home <laughs> from that job so like this album was like the only thing I listened to during that awful awful summer yeah but I mean I mean we both have also gone in here and been like Amanda Palmer sucks and we still listen to the Dresden Dolls so like I mean Fully. it's I it's like I don't think he's evil. I just think that he sucks, and he made yeah. some good albums. So, and that's like the story of most musicians. I mean, I do kind of think that he's evil. I just think that he's evil in a way that I'm still okay with, like listening to an album that I already own. He's not getting any more money out of me, so like, oh, why for not? sure, exactly, exactly. So the album gets released in January 2016. Nearly a full year after he's been kind of releasing, like, teaser songs Mm -hmm. leading up to this album, having gone on tour with Weezer. So, he announces that the album comes out in January. Then in September of 2016, nearly a full calendar year later, 
does panic announce the death of bachelor tour to take place from february to april of 2017 this album has been coming out for three years it's so, like the longest album cycle i've ever fucking seen yeah like and like what are we doing normally album cycles take what maximum nine months to a year if you're not a major pop star yeah and like because because pop stars will do a lot they'll announce the album and then tour for an entire year yeah and I mean, even Fallout Boy now announcing like a second half of uh, so much for Tour Dust, where it's gonna be taking them. Like, I think the album is officially like a year old. Yeah, that sounds about right. And this will be taking them into like the middle of this year. I'm like, that's like a long time, but like it's like normal because they are a big band and they go on very long, globe-spanning tours. Yeah. Um, announcing the headlining tour in support of your album almost a year after it's come out, almost two years after the first single has dropped. Crazy. Yeah. I'd, Weird. I'd, <laughs> I don't know what was going on behind the scenes in terms of contracts, management, venues, tour managing, et cetera, et cetera, what the team looked like, whatever, but it's still weird like there had to have been something going on behind the scenes that just we aren't privy to and maybe won't ever be maybe there'll be something along down the line that someone says something about this whole era but it's so weird that like it couldn't have just been like brendan's decision yeah and i don't want to place it solely on him because when it comes to you know contracts and stuff there's a lot of shit that goes on that you just don't know about yeah because of legalese yeah and then, um, so after the tour gets announced, yada, 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 the tour happens. Dallin is there. After the tour is done in December of 2017, he announces his departure from the role as touring bassist for the band, which yeah. he said, For the last eight years, I've had the incredible opportunity to perform in Panic at the Disco. While I'm sad to announce that my time with Panic has come to an end, I'm excited to continue making music with my new project. I don't know how, but they found me. I'm grateful for the chance I've had to be part of Panic at the Disco for nearly a decade. I will always consider myself indebted to those who made me feel welcome to be a part of Panic at the Disco. You changed my life. Thank you all. Notably, <laughs> this goodbye message does not thank Brendan directly, but rather those who made me feel welcome mm -hmm. telling it's interesting what's going on there um dallin would later go on to edit the captions of several instagram posts he had made during his time with panic uh mostly between 2015 and 2016 which paint a much darker picture of his time in the band and while he never names names or makes outright accusations we are left with an image of brandon yuri as a potentially violent asshole who was not among those who made dallin feel welcome during his tenure in the band um some of these captions. Yeah, let's get into what some of these captions uh, yeah. read. <laughs> um, so one from April 30th, 2015, um, a photo of his hand with a puncture wound and a large bruise, like at the base of his thumb, um, and says, throwback Thursday to when I got shot with an airsoft gun on stage in the middle of playing a song, and I had to pretend it was funny so that I could keep my job. Um, it's his left hand, so, like, it's the hand that would have been, yeah. like, on the frets. Like, I, I, first of all, how did you make that shot? Because, like, that would have been a hard part of his hand to get to if he's playing bass. Second I can of all, only imagine, like, he he put his hand up to stop it from, like, hitting another part oh, of him. Oh, probably. And it hit the side of his hand. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Um, a photo of a very sparkly suit jacket from July 13th, 2015, saying, believe it or not, this jacket almost caused a fist fight. And given the appearance of it, I'm not surprised. Yeah, it's a great jacket. 
Um, I wouldn't hit someone over it, but I would like to wear it. No. Um, a photo of Dallin at the front of the stage with his bass, and Brendan is standing over by the drum kit. Um, on a riser, on the yeah, riser. Looking, looking like he's having a great time. Cool pick of Friday's show in Phoenix, right after I was shot with a pellet gun, also right before I got shot with a different pellet gun. It hurt a lot, and I had to pretend it was funny. It wasn't. Um, cool and then, normal behavior. Yeah. Yeah, it's like so cool. Um, and then a photo of him with uh, Weezer's bass player. Um, most nights on tour with Weezer, you can find me standing a little too close to this gentleman's bass rig. It's been great getting to know him and his family. I got in a lot of trouble for taking this picture. Um, so it sounds like maybe he was not having a great time during his yeah. <laughs> his last little while touring with Panic. I would say so. Yeah. Like, very incredibly telling stuff. Yeah. From- he also never says that it was Brendan who shot him with a pellet gun. It, I mean, it, it was. It was Brendan yeah. who shot him with a pellet gun. I cannot imagine that it, if it were someone else in the band, he probably could have said something out loud. But the fact that he was like, to keep my job is uh-huh. incredibly telling. Yeah. It, uh, like, the I had to pretend it was funny to keep my job is crazy. Because it's like, okay, so, like, what made you feel that you had to pretend it was funny or your job would be at risk? Like, what was yeah. Brendan doing to other people that you saw? What was he doing to you that we didn't see that led you to believe that? Because, like, I, like, I don't think Dallin is just saying this to say it. Like, I do think that he had a reason to feel that way. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, it's, uh, I don't blame him for leaving. I get no, the impression that <laughs> Brendan just fucking sucks to work with. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and I think so that, mad. I think that, like, most people, because I've, like, I've known people like this where they obviously aren't acting in a way where they're thinking in their mind, I'm going to do something mean just to, you know, like, they aren't thinking of themselves as doing bad things. They think, mm-hmm. I'm having fun. And we are having fun. But, like, mm-hmm. they just cannot conceive that other people have a different definition of fun that does not involve you hurting them. Exactly. And you've gone so long with no one telling you no because you are, at this point, the only person in your band and you've surrounded yourself with people whose entire job is to make you feel good. And now you have no fucking normal moral compass anymore. Mm-hmm. You've forgotten how to behave. It's Yep, it's, it's a classic case of someone becoming so caught up in their fame and notoriety and the ego of having that that like you just basically forget how to be a person yeah it's like i feel like i've talked about this on the show before the episode of the twilight zone with um the kid who can like send people out to the cornfield with his mind you have not but continue so everyone um in his life like all of his family just has to constantly like be nice to him and like never ever upset him and um like he becomes like a very destructive child and like he'll like knock over grape juice onto the carpet and like he'll smash somebody's record that they really wanted to listen to or whatever and everyone just has to pretend that it's okay like there's a a part in it where he he breaks the guy's vinyl record that like he just got and this guy is like trying not to cry and like pretending that it's okay because if he doesn't then this kid is going to send him out to the cornfield and like you never know what that means um 
to be sent out to the cornfield. There's an episode of Johnny Bravo. It sounds that, ominous, though. <laughs> yeah. There's an episode of Johnny Bravo that, like, parodies this, where he's babysitting a kid who has that ability. And it is literally just, he sends him out to a cornfield, and then Johnny has to, like, walk home along the side of the highway. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. And it's, like, fully just, like, a fable about why you need to start telling your children no from a very early age so that they know how to hear it and they know how to behave when they hear it. Mm-hmm. And Brandon went... Uh, I think a long time without hearing it and now doesn't know how to fucking act. (laughs) Especially as like an adult, like there is some like armchair psychology that we could go into about, you know, his childhood as a Mormon, leaving the Mormon church, being put in this pressure cooker of a band situation, the freedom of not being in the Mormon church and then being thrust into stardom and not being told no then. Because being Mormon, you would have heard no all the fucking time. Yeah. Like, actually, too much. Um, And I think the pendulum swinging way too hard in the other direction maybe, like, just fucked him a little bit. Yeah. Um, And maybe Dallin still being Mormon is, like, the thing that has kept him from (laughs) becoming, like, exactly like Brendan. Because Dallin is still, like, actively a Mormon person. Which is nuts. Crazy. Uh, I don't think you should be Mormon. I don't think anyone should be Mormon. Like Dude, I, I keep okay, so I keep being fed. Uh, I keep I refuse to have a TikTok account. Yes. When my friends send me TikToks, I watch them because it's like a cat bringing me a, a mouse. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, you're bringing me a present. Okay, I yes. will watch this TikTok that you've sent me. Yeah, but I will get lost on YouTube Shorts, which uh-huh. is worse TikTok. <laughs> it's it's genuinely worse fucking TikTok because like it's like none of it is even good. Some of them are TikTok. You'll find a gem. Of- YouTube Shorts. It's harder. Yeah, um, but I keep getting fed this one girl's content who she left the Mormon church eight years ago, and she's, like, demystifying the temple of Mormonism. Yeah. And, like, all the weirdo shit that never gets talked about in outside of Mormon communities and, like, showing just how cultish yeah. it is. And, like, I knew that the Mormons were a cult. Mm-hmm. I knew that. But, like, the weird shit that she's exposing from the church is, like oh this is not even christianity anymore like it's no it's, it's fully not it's it's, it's it's never been it's never been but it like is uh it is extremely like using christianity as like a framework like, you know like yeah because they're like a well, larger it, agenda it's about jesus and it's like well i mean not not really not really if you think the second coming of christ is going to happen in missouri it's not really about jesus anymore no it is extremely just about wanting to be american um yeah. and also uh Mormons believe that when you go to heaven, you will become white if you are... Oh, I didn't know that one. Yes. Yeah. This is why in Twilight, um, there are vampires who uh, in life were black people. And when they become vampires, they become pale. And why why being a vampire makes you, quote, beautiful. um, Because vampirism in Twilight is kind of an obvious metaphor for going to heaven within Mormonism. Mormons believe that if you are, and and I think that the primary target of this was indigenous people in America. Um, Obviously. Yeah. It <laughs> like, was. Cause, and then whatever, mean, missions, yeah. whatever missions they go to. It's uh, when you go to heaven, you will be a like perfect white American in the Midwest. You know, like it's, yes, it's, this is like the main reason why I'm like, this church is fucking evil. Because like, I think that most sects of Christianity pretty fucking bad. 
Yeah. Most religions have potential to be always get pretty fucking bad. Because everyone in pop punk is fucking Mormon. <laughs> everyone. We do have an episode planned about this. Don't worry. Fucking everyone is Mormon here. So we always have to say your religion's crazy. Like, I'm <laughs> and like I'm sorry, but like it is. <laughs> They don't let you drink coffee. They, but they do think that racism is okay. Like, I just, it's, it's bizarre. I'm sure that Dallin does not believe that when you go to heaven, you will become a white person. I'm really hoping that. Because Dallin, we're on your side. He seems more normal than that. I just think that if you are aligning yourself with people who do believe that, you've already fucked up. And you need to get out of there. You need to go find something else. I think you can take things that you've learned here that are good and are still useful to you and you can hang on to those for as long as you want. I just don't think that you need to give any of your money to this church. No. No, no. Anyway. But we're we're going to do a whole episode on Mormonism and pop punk. Don't yeah. worry. Any fucking way. And then Brendan writes a song for the Spongebob musical. It's and then he like, goes on Broadway. <laughs> and, and goes on Broadway in 2017. He plays Charlie Price in the Broadway adaptation of Kinky Boots with music by Cindy Lauper. It's a very good musical. I, It's really good. I'm sure he did a great job because I like, almost decided to go get tickets for this show. It's fucking, you should have because it's good. I know. It's but I was also good so musical. broke in 2017. And you I was should have done it anyway. Living in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. Yeah. That's. Yeah. That's what got me there. Yeah. I, I also I wouldn't do it if I was. Of Colorado. Yeah. So like. So, <laughs> a real Broadway fan would have bought a plane ticket, but whatever. <laughs> I didn't do it either. Well, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that happens. It feel it very much felt like a natural progression of things for the sound and kind of voice that Brendan wanted people to think that he had. You yeah. know, and the kinds of music that he was writing, bombastic, theatrical, et cetera, et cetera. It was a logical career choice. It made sense for him. Um, and then. Pray for the uh, Wicked. <laughs> pray for the Wicked happens. The writing process for Pray for the Wicked began shortly before Brennan's Broadway debut with High Hopes. The worst song of all time. I like cannot even express how bad this song is. <laughs> it's. It's one of the worst songs that's ever existed. It, it's so <laughs> bad. It is so bad that it almost cancels out all the good that they've done. Like, it is just, it's the irritating high notes in this song. The wholly unironic use of the phrase manifest destiny. It is so fucking bad. There is a video of John Darnell from the Mountain Goats listening to this and he's kind of saying at first he's like going line by line and he's like oh yeah this is okay and then he gets to Manifest Destiny and he's like trash song, hate it, don't want to listen to the rest. Like, and it's like correct why did exactly. you put that in the song? Like, like I thought we were all done with that phrase. Like we know that you, yeah. Brendan <laughs> Like, hello. That's probably the Mormon. That's probably the the latent Mormonism coming through. It, it but is. Like, <laughs> like I understand that manifest destiny sounds like a really cool phrase. Yeah, it sounds super fucking cool. Yeah, which is why <laughs> royalty and colonialism kind of got away with it. Yeah, for a really long time because it's like ah, the divine. It's like that one post. It's like I uh, talking to my therapist. I am morally against. Uh, the the concept of the monarchy and 
like the divine right of kings the divine right of kings the therapist is like of course and you're like but there is something about the king getting the the sword and that the divine right of kings coming through and it's like and and it's really fucking cool and the therapist is like we all know this yeah like obviously (laughs) that's how but like manifest destiny is so fucking bad it's that we just can't no that well has been poisoned (laughs) you can you can manifest things and you can have a destiny I don't think cannot. And honestly, I think that even manifesting is on thin ice. It is (laughs) because we're getting a little bit too close to the secret when we when we do that. But yeah, but it's okay when you and me say it because we both know that we mean it in a different way. Like that we mean it in like a normal person way. That's not in a cult, and we're not selling Lularoe. You know. Yeah, it's like us saying like we're manifesting getting out of bed today. Exactly. We're just like because when when I say that I'm manifesting something, I mean that I'm working towards it. When uh, when some people say that they're manifesting things, they mean that they're just expecting it and will get mad when it doesn't happen. Um, exactly. And like their essential <laughs> oils are not gifting them the ability to like see. Like what do you cure, mean? Cure your ability to need glasses or whatever. Yeah. What do you mean lavender oil didn't cure my postpartum depression? Like, yeah, like, that's not what it's for. <laughs> anyway, this song was so bad and it was inescapable for what felt like 12 years. It You couldn't fucking get away from it. And know why we couldn't get away from it? Because it was a result of literally illegal pay for play radio yeah there's like a whole fucking like rolling stone article about this that like a bunch of artists were caught up in um it was mostly radio stations in los angeles i believe or just like in like the greater southern california area um where radio seems to still matter um Mm -hmm. but yeah like it was like labels saying like you need to be playing this so high hopes was like rising in the charts because his label, which I don't even think was Fueled by Ramen at this point. I don't um, think so either. No. Um, was paying money to radio stations to play High Hopes. Because no human being would request to listen, to listen to this, to this song. song. Only, like, Moms and Joanne Fabric want to hear that song. It was used as uh, Pete Buttigieg... <laughs> fucking... Yeah, what the fuck Him. is this game? Yeah. Who I already had beef with because he yeah, was no. very involved in the price fixing scandal in Canada. What were you doing here, Peter? Like, knock it off. He was fixing bread prices. And do you know do you know what we got for that? We got what? a prepaid $25 gift card to all Canadians who applied for it because they were impacted by the bread price fixing scandal. Only you know how $25? Much, you know how much I spent on bread? Probably more than $25. You know what it was? It wasn't a gift card. It was a visa card. So we had no way of checking people's balance that was left on the card. Of course not. And do you know where I worked at the time? At the grocery store that was the only grocery store that was impacted by this. And do you know where Jesus I worked? Christ. On the customer service desk, having to explain to people that I couldn't check the balance on their stupid fucking card. From Pete Buttigieg. So I will always hate Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what he does. He could have, after that, cured cancer and then been the best president that America's ever seen. I would still... Hate him. Which he would never have done in the I first would, place. I would still want him dead. <laughs> like, I think he's like our department of something head. It's I like forget. 
transport like was, or some stupid shit, right? Like that he's uh, running into the ground. Yeah, Secretary of Transportation. You're gonna have the guy who fixes bread prices try to like handle our piss poor infrastructure in this country. I like, hate him. Ugh, I hate liberals. I just <laughs> I googled it, him. I, I hate and liberals in the way that I'm like extremely <laughs> like extremely left. I'm a leftist. Yeah. I'm basically I, a communist. Like, I, I googled him and there was like a subheading that says mayorality of Pete Buttigieg and I thought it said morality <laughs> and I was like, what a weird <laughs> Wikipedia subheading to have. <laughs> morality. None. Next question. Um, Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. John Walker also liked the tweet from a Twitter user, Kyle Kalinske, that said, as president, I will ban the High Hope song. So, like, the fact Even that... Even John Walker. The fact that other messy members of... Always the pod online. That other members of Panic at the Disco were like, turn this shit off. It's bad. Um, and somehow, despite the horrors wreaked by high hopes as a song it's iron chokehold it had on us and as a nation being chinese water tortured with this song <laughs> for what felt like eons the it album was, got generally positive reviews because it was like you'd be out and about and it would be like at any moment i could hear high hopes and i it's, don't know when like but i know that it's coming <laughs> it's like way get it but worse yeah except i like last christmas yeah, that's that's different. Like I fucking that like Whamageddon, I want to end early for me because I truly yeah. totally want to listen to that song. Whamageddon, I end early on purpose with Shiny's cover of Last Christmas. I um, Yeah, I was gonna say, does that count? Yes, it does. Yes. It absolutely the, counts. The spirit of George Michael compelled Taman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> those this. are the same people. They they are <laughs> they're siblings. They're they're holding day, hands. <laughs> one day we will get through an episode of this podcast without talking about K pop in some capacity. <laughs> I will today never is not, not day. talk about Taman. <laughs> and that is a promise. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, this album got generally positive reviews, but it was around this time that fandom started to turn on Brendan. So between the paper pay, pay I was gonna say paper play, that's hard for me to say. Gay uh, for scandal, pay. Gay for pay. Uh, between the pay for play scandal and touring guitarist Kenneth Harris being exposed as a sexual predator who had used his status and proximity to Brendan slash Panic to prey on underage fans, and Dallas' new band releasing a song that was widely believed to be about Dallas' negative experience with Brendan, opinions were souring rapidly. Yeah. Um, That song by I Don't Know How But They Found Me is Choke, by the way. Mm -hmm. So if you listen to Choke and you think, oh, interesting references to sycophantic teens and wanting to kill someone and... um wanting someone to choke themselves to sleep. That's very likely about Brendan and yeah. his time in panic. Yeah. Um, I re-listened to Pray for the Wicked all the way through when I was writing the notes for this episode and thought, God. fuck, this sucks. And um, somehow got, the, <laughs> got positive reviews. The, um, I did get that one... God, what song is it? The one that's like, roll me like a blunt because I want to go home. <laughs> I got that stuck in my head like pretty bad. Because like, it just, it's, it is very like, it's an earworm, like for all the shitty things that 
it is. It's like, well, it's in there now. And like, I'd be at work just like, roll me like a blunt because I want to go home. Because like, I did want to go home. But like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's not a good song. Um, No. Yeah. And then this is also the album where you can really start to hear Brendan's voice starting to go. Yeah. On a, on a studio recording. Yeah. Versus on stage. Which is kind so of like, wild. There's a, yeah. So there's a high note on Saturday night, which is like it, it's so bad like you could tell that his voice is starting to go it's strained it's whatever it's starting to sound completely blown out and this is a sign of the end times for his voice going yeah. and also somehow during this time brendan managed to get a collab with taylor swift yeah for her song me with an exclamation point which yeah. is also unlistenable but that's also mostly how i feel about taylor swift's music Minus a handful of songs in the first place. Yeah. So. It's it's also just, like, a weird combination of voices. Because, like, I mean, again, we've talked about this before. That, like, Taylor keeps doing collaborations with people like Brendan and Patrick Stump and Haley Williams. Like, people who have very full, powerful voices. And Taylor Swift's voice is not that. And, um. No. I, I listen to a lot of people, like, singer-songwriter type voices where they do have, like, a. Like, it's just not, like, a powerhouse vocal. It's, like, a thinner sound. Mm-hmm. Taylor, I, Taylor, I I hate her voice. Like, it's, I will be honest. But, like, there are, it is a place for that kind of voice. I think oh, that sure. mixing it with this kind of vocal just is, like, a recipe for disaster. Because it's, like, you don't sound good together. And one of you is just going to sound better. And that's, like, the hard thing when it comes to juxtaposition between vocals in bands and music in general. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's hard to make it work outside of a like narrative context yeah it's like like like, uh remember when ed sheeran and beyonce like did that song together and it's like (laughs) oh yeah ed sheeran and beyonce have a song together i can't remember what it's called but like every time i hear it i'm just like ed why would you do this to yourself because i don't even know half the songs that get radio play and then i find out that they're ed sheeran years later i'm like that's him yeah yeah, oh, there's songs that I've been, like, will hear at work, and I'm like, who is this? And then I find out that it's Ed Sheeran. And I'm like, man, this guy is just doing anything. Um, But he's got a song with Beyonce, and it's like, I think that his voice is fine. I don't like his music that much, but, like, he's a good singer. Yeah. Why would you put yourself next to Beyonce, though? Like, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Like, you now sound s- stupid as hell. You sound bad now. Because you're next to someone who has a voice that is widely recognized as good. And mm-hmm. that kind of like belting vocal, or not belting, but like just like that very like full powerful voice is like generally considered to be like what good singing sounds like versus yeah. Ed Sheeran, who I do think is a really good singer, but like I don't think not that kind of I don't think that general- kind of singing is appreciated in the same way. Exactly. Like the general population likes Ed Sheeran. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of the general population would, if you if you ask them, who's a better singer, Beyonce or Ed Sheeran, they're going to choose Beyonce. Yeah. Well, because she can do more, I think. Yeah. I think her voice is just stronger. And, I mean, it's, like, it's difficult to even compare because it's, like, they're doing completely different things. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think that people just, in general, think one is better than the other. So I wouldn't want to put myself next to someone who I knew that everyone is going to think is better. And I also know that our voices just won't sound good together because we are 
doing completely different things with our vocals. Exactly. And the other thing that's like so confusing about the Brendan and Taylor Swift collaboration is because Brendan basically paid his way into notoriety again. Like mm-hmm. that The Bachelor was not getting the same level of airplay as High Hopes was, obviously because you it was pay for play. Yeah. Um so Brendan is now publicly like widespread famous again. Uh-huh. But at the same time, Taylor Swift is so so concerned about her public image and her PR people are so good about not associating her with people who do bad things at the same time as more and more shit about Brendan is coming out. Like not only just the, you know, um, like Kenneth Harris issue, uh, Dallin's band releasing a new song because like most people outside of fandom are not going to know that Dallin Weeks wrote a song about Brendan but at this time, like, Dallin also confirmed the longtime fandom joke about Brendan not paying him enough, which we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and that while he was a touring musician and being a studio musician, he was picking up odd jobs during his time in panic to pay the bills and support his family, which, again, is weird because he should have been receiving royalties from his contribution to Too Weird to Live, especially Vegas Lights, which ends up being used as the goal song for the Las Vegas Golden Knights hockey team, which is a really, like, despite being a new team, is a successful hockey team. And then, like, the allegations don't stop when Brendan fired Kenneth because Zach Hall, who, like, has been a person that everyone who likes Panic! at the Disco to a not-casual level knows of mm-hmm. everyone knew, knew who zach hall was yeah and he was panic's bodyguard since the nearly the inception of the band became the next person in brendan's sphere to be revealed as a total scumbag so brendan is continuing to surround himself with bad people and like the allegations around uh against hall were including sexual misconduct with underage fans which is second person that has done this in brendan's orbit mm-hmm. as well as targeted harassment of former band members ian crawford um and dallin weeks both confirmed that Hall's presence in Panic contributed to their departure from the band. And Breezy confirmed, Brent, uh, Dallin's wife confirmed this on Twitter as well, stating that since she and Dallin had both signed NDAs, they could not get into details about Zach Hall, but that he was one of the worst people they had both met. And then Brendan did eventually, three months later though, confirm on live stream that Zach Hall had been, quote, removed from his current position and the entire panic team including touring staff would be undergoing sensitivity training but that he would continue his friendship with hall in private which is not a thing you should just say it out loud no that's stupid no and then he also dismissed any allegations made against himself as totally false yeah so again fandom opinion souring mm-hmm. him like out loud saying things dallin saying things somehow still managing a collaboration with with taylor swift it's all weird it's all very weird also removed from his current position is not the same as fired no that just means like you could be moved to a different position within the like pick of the disco as a corporate and i don't want to say corporate entity but like you know as an as an entity as As a a business as a machine he's been shuffled off to work in a different part that is less public facing um which i think is what ended up being what happened yeah um he didn't fire zach zach continued to work with him and they continued to be friends um which is crazy to me um i just like i simply would not be friends with someone who's uh, accused of sexually harassing underage fans and like i i know that it can be hard to cut people out of your life even when you know that they've done something awful but like at least publicly if you are a celebrity 
and you want to keep your career, you do have I want to, to keep being say, famous. <laughs> like, this is, this is what gets me. And maybe I'm a bad person. But I think when I see this, why would you not just lie? Why would you not just say, I fired him and I don't talk to him anymore? That's like a PR 101. Like know? a PR agent would like, would tell you to do that. And even if it's not true, even if later people find out that you were lying and you were hanging out with this guy the whole time, why would you not in the moment fucking lie about it? And I just wonder say, if he had you know, a PR person during this time. Or was he just like <laughs> rolling? And obviously I do think that he should have not lied about it and just done it for real. Um, obviously. But I... I just can't understand why you would just not only not do it, but then go out and say, yeah, I'm I'm keeping him and we're still friends. Like, are you insane? <laughs> like, dude. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, I, I know that, uh, you know, my existence in this world for 30 years, I have learned that consequences are not real for certain men. Um, mm-hmm. But I still just, like, can't imagine not even making a token attempt at avoiding a consequence. Like, it, and I it don't feels understand. So because like you said before, this era, like, Brendan seems so into the idea of maintaining a level of fame and trying to get back to where Panic was when they first started as a group. And then to have that longevity and level of fame as an individual. I mean, he put out a song called Me! Exclamation point. Like, it's just, this isn't very me! Exclamation point behavior. This right? is very. You're an I idiot don't. Behavior. Yeah, like, are you <laughs> stupid? Like, what are you doing? Like, it's it's like if I started stealing from work, and then I went in and said to my boss, "Hey, I've been stealing from work." Like, don't. Why are you? T- why are you telling <laughs> on yourself? You don't have to do that. I don't know. It's anyway. The allegations against Brendan are tricky. Uh, he dismisses them at the same time that he says that he's going to keep hanging out with Zach Hall. So, like, it's kind of like, all right, well, if the allegations against you aren't true, why are you still comfortably being friends with a sex predator? Whatever. Um, but Chelsea Lynn, who we've mentioned before as the person who catfished Ryan Ross while pretending to be Brendan, um, in her time pretending to be Brendan, had also used her fake Brendan account to chat with other fans um, and solicited nudes from them. Among other things. So it is difficult to say how many of the accusations are against for real Brendan or against Chelsea as Brendan. However, given Brendan's reluctance to do anything about Zach's own predation and his insistence on maintaining their friendship um, and also just like the nature of society, it's not hard to believe that he was getting up to something inappropriate. Um, For sure. We're just, we're never going to know for sure. So things were looking bad for Panic! at the Disco. And Mm -hmm. then that brings us to the fucking... The what's the poem? Dylan Thomas thinks so. Not said Dylan Thomas. T. S. Eliot. Uh, not with the banquet with a rimper. <laughs> yeah, genuinely. I was thinking about things that commonly get written on a wall in terms of poetry, <laughs> and it's Dylan Thomas rage, rage, rage against the machine. And the, like, not rage against the machine. That's a band. <laughs> rage against the <laughs> rage against the dying of the light. That's Dylan Thomas, right? Do not go gentle into that good night. There um, we go. Anyway, caused- it's. <laughs> It's been a while since I've read a poem, <laughs> apparently. I said it was a band! Sorry that I was talking about a band on our emo music podcast, and that was what was on my mind. Sorry. In ten years when we start doing a Rage Against the Machine podcast, that's what we're going to call it. 
If that's not already the name of a Rage Against the Machine podcast, that is a missed opportunity. Do not go gentle into that good machine. We'll take it now. That's going to be our podcast. Do not take it. That's ours. TM. TM. <laughs> Property of so emo I fell apart. Our podcast, which is named after another quote. Yeah. It was that or Chloe and Rhea's untitled emo show, so... Which is another ripoff of another. We we decided not to name it that because yeah. we're like that's definitely like copyright territory. We were like Steve is gonna come yell at us. <laughs> but it is a really good idea for a podcast name. It is. We just like didn't want to get into legal trouble as two people who don't have lawyers. Uh huh. <laughs> anyway, this brings us to the the fucking death mills. I guess <laughs> my metaphors and terms of phrase and all got messed up. Not terms of phrase quotes. You know, got messed up. Death Nails with Viva Las Vengeance. Yeah. Viva Las Vengeance depresses me. Um, in October 2021. A stupid name. <laughs> the thing is that I think that if it had been a good album, I think that if like Ryan had been around, if Ryan Ross had written Viva Las Vengeance, I'd be like, we would think, ah, he's done it again. He's a genius. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> what can't he do? But because Brendan wrote it, I'm just like, okay this is hokey and i don't like it and i hate you and i don't want to hear it you know like it's <laughs> i'm comfortable admitting that i don't care sure in october 2021 already not a good time for anybody no <laughs> already bad year bad bad year um a leak in rivers cuomo's personal discord server revealed <laughs> genuinely <laughs> revealed that longtime panic collaborator jake sinclair was set to produce another album for brendan um even before the album dropped fan or anti-fan as it had become response was fucking brutal people did not want another brendan solo album <laughs> um yeah, no. it was like, not an album that anyone wanted no people were like don't stop it the album was recorded on an eight-track player for an analog retro vibe. Uh, Brendan Which would describe. Been cool <laughs> if yeah. anyone else was doing it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brendan would describe the tape recorder as keeping him honest, uh, which is a fun way what? of uh, saying that he just doesn't want uh, to anymore. sound better on an album that he does in person. Um, while his ardent supporters claimed that this was so that his live performers would sound as close to the record as possible. His haters said that this would be so that it wouldn't be as noticeable when he simply could not perform the songs live in the way that they would have appeared on the record because his voice was shot. Um, and that really comes through on the eight track recording, which like hides nothing. Ultimately, I think that this is like kind of a smart decision because. Oh, yeah. Like it's it's actually a good call. Like, yeah, it's it sucks to listen to a song on an album and then hear it live and the singer just cannot do it. Yeah. Which it happens a lot. There's a lot of songs that, like, uh, I mean, like, Fall Out Boy doesn't play certain songs live because Patrick just cannot consistently do that much vocal work that frequently and not damage himself. So, yeah. Like, there's a reason why eight ball songs exist, not yeah. just because of, you know, the the fun gotcha game that we play with hearing old songs, but also because, like, these are songs I'm sure they want to play. They'll just hurt themselves playing them too yeah. often. And uh, I mean, Paramore quite famously just like never played All I Wanted live for like a very long time because 
Haley can do that note in studio, but doing it every single night is gonna fucking Dangerous. kill her. Um, <laughs> So it's rare to play it live, and they didn't play it live for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. I Like, that's fine. That's normal. Um, with Brendan, it is just because he didn't take care of his voice. Like, this was a result of not doing that for too long. Yeah. Him singing Saturday night and doing that crazy high note, like, every night, killed him. Shouldn't have done yeah. that. No. That's because you can doesn't mean that you should, and he really was, you could not do it at the point and still was doing it. Yeah. It's why Idina Menzel doing Defying Gravity eight times a week just, like, fucked her. You can't yep. do that. Nope. So five singles were released, like, rapid fire before the album even dropped. So weird album cycle approach versus Death of the Bachelor. Yeah. Which released, like, quite slowly over a long period of time. It's, like, slow release compared to, like, instant release mm-hmm. medication. <laughs> Truly. Um, it's like taking the uh, the extended release Mucinex versus... Dayquil. <laughs> yeah. And much like me trying instant release medication versus extended release medication, it didn't fucking work. Um, <laughs> it was bad and it pissed people off. <laughs> Did I tell you about this? Yeah. I tried like the instant release Wellbutrin once and just like was angry for like a week and was like, I can't take oh this my anymore. Versus <laughs> like, like, I. For Ritalin, I have to take both the extended release and the instant release or nothing's getting done. No, I, it, I'm i on the extended release Wellbutrin and I tried the instant release Wellbutrin because they ran out of extended release Wellbutrin for like a very long time during lockdown. <laughs> and they were like, try this. And I tried it and was like, I'm going to fucking kill somebody. Like, it was just <laughs> like, I would take it and I would just be like, angry. Mad. Like. It, That's yeah. why, like, when I briefly took Wellbutrin, I was like, I can't be on this. Like, I'm mad all the time. Yeah, it's it's so weird. It's such a weird sensation to just be, like, nothing has happened. I'm just sitting here fucking fuming. And after, like, a few days, I was like, I think I just have to not take anything for a little bit. And was just, like, dizzy at work for a week. And then my pharmacy was finally like, we got it come here. And I was like, thank Christ. Cause like I was getting like the fucking brain zappies pretty God, bad. I wish that were me. I have not had Ritalin since July. That's insane. Because the shortages are so bad. And also my health insurance is so weird that I can't just like fight for going to another pharmacy with ease Yeah, and stuff. And of course the pharmacy I go to, I live in the metropolitan area in a major city mm-hmm. and it's hard to yeah. get prescriptions <laughs> So, yeah, we're free. We're like raw dog in life right now. Uh-huh. Anyway, this is a call to the American healthcare system. <laughs> and actually the global, it's a global issue at this point. People need Ritalin. Mm-hmm. I don't care that it's a controlled substance and you're afraid of drug users. Addicts are people too. And unfortunately, my medication, I'm addicted to it for my to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Make it. <laughs> I mean, it's I'm like, addicted I'm, to functioning. Yeah. I'm addicted like, to Wellbutrin, which is functionally bath salts in um, the same way that people are addicted to things like insulin. Um, it's like, I, I need that to function. My brain doesn't work otherwise. It never yeah. has. Um, so I, anyway, I, you know, give me my pills. <laughs> I, need I, I have them. them. It's okay. Yeah. I don't. We're working on it. Yeah. Anyway. You know what's crazy? This is so unrelated. I heard (laughs) that um, you have to re-get the prescription like every month. Like you have to have your doctor rewrite it every month. 
Oh, yeah, because it's a controlled substance. I have to yeah. physically go into my doctor's appointment, say that I still have ADHD. I still need this medication to function. That is- Medicine, please. Insane. Like, you could like, be seeing the same doctor for years, and you still have to go in person and confirm that you still have ADHD. The like, Even if it's a doctor who gave you the diagnosis, to continue getting it. But, like, why can't they just say, like, yes, this person is going to need this for, like, three years. Life. However, you know? And then you just go to the pharmacy, and they only give you a month at a time. Like, Ritalin how, and Adderall how is every other prescription works. It's it, The ingredient is meth. Like, that's why, <laughs> like, it's a well, controlled yeah, substance. But, but, like, why don't they just say, okay, you can only have 30 days worth and then you can't have more until this much time has passed? Like, yep. fine. But, like, why do you have to go to the doctor every month? Like, that's what it's I don't... It's evil. It's so stupid. Mm-hmm. And so when you have people who have the, it is hard for me to do tasks and do things disease like ADHD, and then you have to have them remember to make an appointment to go to a different location to then talk about getting the medicine that helps them remember things. <laughs> it's very difficult to stay on top of that. Yeah. I was talking about this at work the other day. I was like about disability accommodations for mental illnesses at universities. And I was like, well, if I could go through the entire fucking process of getting the accommodation, I probably wouldn't need it. Because like... Literally. <laughs> If I'm capable of doing that, I'm capable of taking my own notes. Okay? So, like, just, why am I having to jump through hoops to be allowed to ask someone in my classroom to give me their notes every week? Like, it's so stupid. And you can't have someone else file your accommodations for you. It has to be you who files them. No. Anyway, life life is a fucking nightmare. Um, and that is our allotted 10 minutes to rant about anything that isn't related to emo, but kind of sort of related to emo, but also mostly not related to emo. And with that, five singles were released rapid fire before the album had even dropped. It's related to emo because I'm emo because I have mental illness. Exactly. We wrapped it back around. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I wouldn't like Panic at the Disco this much if I didn't need a prescription. <laughs> Literally. This would not have resonated with me as much <laughs> if I wasn't mentally ill. You think a normal person who's healthy likes the song Kamasato? No. No. <laughs> Do you think a normal, like, 13-year-old should be reading Invisible Monsters by Chuck Palahniuk? <laughs> No! I, I actually, I do think that. I think more teenagers should read Invisible Monsters, because then they will grow up to be very chill about a lot of things. Yeah, no, it's a really good, like, entry-level, like, Chuck Palahniuk book that's not incredible. <laughs> it's not too fucked up, but just fucked up enough that it makes you think. Yeah. it's It'll make you think, like, a lot of things are normal, and then you'll think, wait, none of that was normal. And then you'll get a little bit older, and you'll be like, no, all of it is super fucking normal. Exactly. Nothing in that book was weird. <laughs> Anyway, um, anyway, five singles. And then, and then the fan response when the album was finally released on August 19, 2022 was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time the entire album had been released, fan reception had solidified. This was his worst yet. This tarnished uh, the name of the band. What's upheld as a pillar of the emo trinity for good. Panic mm-hmm. should be retroactively removed from the emo trinity and replaced with Paramore. Not 21 Pilots, you fucking idiots. Anyone who says 21 Pilots, no. 21 Pilots no. does not have the staying power that Fall Out Boy, Paramore My Cam, does. and Paramore have. Um, exactly. They just don't. 
I mean, I don't think that like the emo trinity needs to exist. I don't think it's really necessary. But like, no, if we're gonna have because, it, like, put Paramore in there. Also, yeah. calling it the emo trinity is always dicey whenever you're talking about emo because a lot of people conflate emo with pop punk and pop punk with emo and vice versa and like yeah. we necessarily prescribe to the proper genre delineations but like i would say that like it's the pop punk emo uh, the pop punk trinity not the emo trinity regardless also calling it a trinity is just so fucking catholic of us that like again right? god it's so serious. which is another reason why i'm like i don't think we need it no but yeah a particular standout was the song local god which depending on who you ask is about ryan and if you ask us it's, it's i mean there's ryan. just there's no way that it's not about ryan like it's hard to deny yeah um and like it's i know that there's like a lot of panic songs that people like to say like oh this one's for sure about ryan like when hurricane like came out about, uh, everyone yeah, was hurricane. like it's about ryan that's about ryan you know sure this one is like explicitly referring to things that have happened in ryan's life like the fact that he got his first guitar in 1998 and the fact that they signed a record deal as teenagers and the fact that Ryan has like completely removed himself from public life because he doesn't care about fame. Like it's, it just is about Ryan. But by now the tide had basically completely turned in Ryan's favor. Panic the disco fans are doing revisionist history and saying that they were always team Ryan when I know for a fact that some of them were not. Yeah, I was. We were there. I we was, were but Ryan some of them were not. The entire time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, even the people who, like, weren't fully, like, on board with Ryan, even the people who aren't saying, like, I want a fever you can't sweat out Ryan's version, you know, they're still not really appreciating that Brendan has basically written a diss track about Ryan. Yeah. Like, 20 years later. Like, the... <laughs> yeah. The title track also featured lyrics like, someone did me wrong, stole my favorite song, yes, it really hurt, which is... Really ironic, given that Dallin actually gave numerous songs to Panic at the Disco, notably Far Too Young to Die, a song he had worked and reworked since 1996. Which, yeah. like, if you've been working on a song for more than 20 years, and you give it to some fuck-ass dude named Brendan Yuri, and then you have the audacity to claim that someone stole your favorite song, I'm beating you with hammers. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's just so like okay so you got far too young to die you got girls girls boys you got a ton of other songs that ryan that dallin wrote for you and you've been singing ryan's songs dining out on his work for years but you have the audacity to say that someone stole your favorite song like i'm sorry you're still Who playing you Kami Sato. So what songs are you writing and giving away was it the spongebob song <laughs> Is maybe that what that, you're talking about? Maybe that's who you he's singing about. You think the dude about. who's now with Ariana Grande, who got with him from playing Spongebob, like, is that the guy you're talking about that stole your song? It would like, honestly be so funny if it was. <laughs> I'm going to choose to believe that it was. I'm going to choose to believe that that line is about that dude. Yeah. Anyway, like, it's just so bad. And, like, somehow he managed to do a tour in a normal, like, album cycle timeline. And that's where, like, Everything just started coming, like yeah. falling apart at the seams. Mm -hmm. Like this is a Shein level, like piece of clothing that falls apart after two washes, kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's bad. Yeah. So the entire Canadian leg of the tour was canceled for logistical reasons, um, but it was very likely because of like extremely low ticket sales. 
I mean, so Marina, formerly of Marina and the Diamonds, was opening on this tour. There were like so many instances of people turning up, staying for Marina's set and then leaving. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, she's an incredibly talented artist who like has not completely alienated her fan base. Exactly. A uh, One fan claimed that as an amp caught fire and the show was paused for someone to run out with an extinguisher, Brendan could be seen doing a line of coke before returning on stage. Um, Zach Hall, despite being removed from his position on Brendan's team, was spotted side stage. Audience members reported that Brendan seemed upset by both the turnout and the audience response, um, which is unfortunate because the set list for this tour included um, the entirety of Viva Las Vengeance. <laughs> his magnum opus. Front to back. Um, which is he, an insane thing to do. Yeah. Like, people really wanted to, like, only hear the old Panic! at the Disco songs. So, like, he would play, like, I Write Sins, Not Tragedies. Because, like, obviously, you, you have to. You have to. And everyone would go crazy. And then he would play, like, something from Pray for the Wicked. And it was just, like, crickets. Like, nobody gave a shit. Like, I think a lot of videos circulated online of people at in the Panic! crowd. Just, no one is dancing. No one is singing along. Arms yeah. crossed over. You would think that American audiences were European, given how yeah. they were reacting. Yeah, genuinely. Standing completely fucking still. Quebecois-ass audiences. <laughs> the final, final panic show. The set list was Say Amen Saturday Night. Hey, look, Ma, I made it. Don't Threaten Me With A Good Time. Which is, again, only good because of the B-52 sample. Um, this is Gospel. Miss Jackson. The Emperor's New Clothes. The entirety of Viva Las Vengeance, right there in the middle. Girls, Girls, Boys, House of Memories, Nine in the Afternoon, Death of a Bachelor, I Write Sins Not Tragedies, Victorious, and the last song that Panic! at the Disco ever played, High Hopes. Like, you couldn't even write this shit. You could not. Couldn't like, if you wanted to. I. It's just so tragic that I would not even deign to write it. <laughs> like, no. It's just so bad. Oh, also, we forgot to mention, he was playing uh, Into the Unknown from Frozen on the sword, too. Oh, God. Yeah, he was. Um, <laughs> at this point, um, Pete Wentz also, like, just a little bit before this tour ended, posted a photo of himself uh, on his, like, housewife shit, like, making some Christmas treats in his kitchen. Um, this is, like, a f- hilarious picture that got deleted very quickly because it included one the monitor on his kitchen counter with like the full view of all of the security footage of the outside of his house. Um, and, Which like, dude, come on. And two included on his fridge, uh, a Christmas card from Brendan and Sarah Yuri, which revealed that Sarah is so pregnant. Um, so Pete has expressed that he really regrets uh, kind of leaking this news on January 24th, 2023. Brendan posted on Instagram, well, it's been a hell of a journey. Growing up in Vegas, I could have never imagined where this life would take me. So many places all over the world and all the friends we've made along the way. But sometimes a journey must end for a new one to begin. We've been trying to keep it to ourselves, though some of you may have heard. (laughs) Sarah and I are expecting a baby very soon. The prospect of being a father and getting to watch my wife become a mother is both humbling and exciting. I look forward to this next adventure. That said, I am going to bring this chapter of my life to an end and put my focus and energy on my family. And with that, Panic at the Disco will be no more. Thank you all for your immense support over the years. I've sat here trying to come up with the perfect way to say this, and I truly can't put into words how much this has meant to us. 
Whether you've been here since the beginning or just finding us, it has been a pleasure to not only share the stage with so many talented people, but also share our time with you. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone in Europe and the UK for one last run together. I love you. I appreciate you. Thanks for existing. Brendan. Did he actually go on that European tour? Um, I, honestly, I, I think so. I'm pretty sure okay. that he did the European leg of this tour. I think it was only Canada that was canceled because, I mean, I don't know, maybe Europeans just liked this album more. But yeah, final song of all time. High hopes. That's how they ended it. Um, yeah. Not Miserable, with a bang, but with a whipper. With a fucking whimper. So depressing. Um, that is honestly one of the worst set lists that I ever saw. This was also the same night that um, uh, My Chemical Romance was playing in Auckland mm-hmm. and had like an incredible set list. Yeah, if <laughs> one cannot exist while the other like lives. No. Whatever the fuck. No. Well, do you remember that on this tour, Panic was playing in Chicago the same weekend as Riot Fest? Yeah. So like, mm-hmm. like all of MCR was there. The Academy Is was playing and Midtown was playing. And John Walker was also there because I think that he was touring for, was he there with, he was there with like Armor for Sleep or uh, Hawthorne Heights or Spitalfield. Like he was, he was touring with uh, someone there. So yeah. it was like this like old school emo meetup of like all of MCR, John Walker, everyone in the Academy is, Gabe Saporta, like hanging out. And then Brendan playing his show in Chicago to like a largely empty crowd of people who left after Marina finished her set. Yeah. Um, Just completely exercised from the scene, basically. Um, And it's like incredible because it's like this, like it, it, it used to be like a contest. Like it would be like, oh, do I go see Panic or do I go see MCR? And now it was just like, no, like obviously I'm going to Riot Fest. Like be serious. Um, yeah, I'm I'm shocked that whoever was managing his tour did not get him a billing on Riot Fest. Yeah, like it's like that's insane to me. But I mean, I also have to wonder, like, would he have wanted to do that and like see all these people? You know, probably not. Like, well, so I'd, we can only speculate on his relationship with these people. Yeah, still, I I don't know who his friends still are. Like, is he still friendly and like good friends with Pete? Like, et cetera, et cetera. We. I mean, he's still friends with Pete because, I mean, one, Pete is on his Christmas card list, and two... Just because you're on your <laughs> Christmas card list doesn't mean the person who actually receives it believes that you're also still a friend. But Pete was in the video for Sugar Soaker. Oh, I dis- forgot about that. Okay, yeah. Disgusting song title. Awful. Very clearly trying to, like, trying to follow Harry Styles' Watermelon Sugar High and then yeah. completely missing the ball. Yeah. <laughs> You will never be pour some sugar on me. No. You will never be that. No. You are not that you girl. Will, you will never be glamour. <laughs> um, on September 30th, 2022, Phantom Planet played a show in Los Angeles. And they brought out a very special guest, uh, Ryan Ross, Our to join friend. them for their song, <laughs> Do the Panic. The People's Princess, Ryan Ross, uh, introduced... Via video message from none other than Dallin Weeks, who cited Ryan as a huge inspiration. Um, it like, again, like you just can't write it. Like you, it's too narratively perfect for how tragic this story is. It's, it's so satisfying. In the level of com- comedy and tragedy are are two sides of the same coin, and Shakespeare could never have written the fucking story of Panic at the Disco. I'll tell you that much. No, he couldn't because like the 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 Riot Fest 
night. The, you know, the Brendan fucking melting down on stage because no one wants to hear his solo work. This being the album that honestly did incredible sales and got incredible critical response against all fucking odds. I am not understanding how critics love this album so much. Um, I don't know. I would not be surprised. like the honesty of it. Yeah. If this turned out to be like another like pay for play thing, except it's like pay for Pitchfork to say that they like your album. Like I would not even be shocked. Which how much money did you pay to Pitchfork to say anything positive <laughs> I know, on purpose? Anything positive ever. Um, But like it's, you know, like he finally had this like critical recognition that he wanted again and the fans hated it and they didn't want it. And they all preferred his old friends to him and Ryan and Dallin reunionizing. So. And John Walker is living it up on Reddit. Yeah. Not on Reddit. He's on Instagram stories most of the time. He's, talking shit. He is talking so but much he, shit on Instagram all but the he time. Is definitely on Reddit. Yeah. And yeah. that brings us to the end of Panic of the Disco. Like, not just our story of it, but for the actual band itself. Yeah. And for Who, us to not have to talk about Brendan anymore. Unless we, uh, we'll probably get into talking about Brendan in some capacity I later mean, on. eventually, but, but like for a little bit, we don't have to. We don't have to. We're yeah. done with him for now. He's over. He's canceled. The evil has been defeated. Been, literally, the evil has fully been defeated. And yeah. with that, that's a, that's a wrap on Panic at the Disco. Yeah. Here, clap for the cast and crew. That's a wrap on Brendan Neary, everyone. I'm, like, doing this little golf clap, and, like, the waveform is so tiny. <laughs> so little. Yeah. Um, and this is my hope that – I know Ryan never wants to come back into the public eye, but what if he wrote music again? <laughs> right. I mean – More public capacity. I would love to hear music from him again, but, I mean, I also would – be happy to know that he was just like having a good time in his house in LA, never talking to anyone ever again and playing songs that no one is ever going to hear. Yeah. It's living off those royalties. Yeah. All right. I hope that that. he's good. So yeah, that's, uh, I, if this sounds weird and jarring, it's because I forgot that I needed to do all the, you know, normal podcast promo sign offs at the end of the episode (laughs) and not just like (laughs) saying bye. Um, if you like what we do here on so emo, I fell apart. Please give us a review on your podcast or a choice. And if you happen to use Apple Podcasts as your review, think about writing us a few words. We do read it. It means a lot to us. It helps us in the algorithm. Follow our podcast on your podcast or a choice. It's the easiest way for you to be updated on when a new episode goes live because God knows what the hell the social media algorithms at large are doing. But if you do want to follow us on social media, please do that at SoEmoPod on both twitter and on instagram i've been promising it for months i will eventually start posting on instagram (laughs) i just need to sit down and do it basically yeah um additionally like i hope you guys are really enjoying our new schedule that we're doing we're coming at you live not live but like weekly uh with our episodes and because we're doing weekly episodes we actually have a homework assignment for you guys for next week we're doing the fun new thing on So Emo I Fell Apart where we're going to do a listen through of an album and we're going to deep dive into it and talk about the history of the album a little bit, talk about uh, the lyrics of the album, our general thoughts and feelings about it. And it's going to be a good time. And what album are we doing, Chloe? We are going to be doing The Silence in Black and White by Hawthorne Heights. 
Um, Hell yes. Hugely excited to give this one another listen through. I haven't listened I haven't to it, it in years. all the way through in a very long time, though I was recently driving through Ohio with some friends and we did listen to Ohio is for Lovers like as soon as we cross the state line you gotta um, i've i've do that every single time i've driven through ohio <laughs> yeah um so it just god great song great song yeah we're doing a little project with the lead up to us going to when we were young fest in uh this year's october where we're going to be spending um one episode per month to listen to one of the albums that will be played in full at Riot Fest, not Riot Fest, hello, when we were young. Yeah. Uh, I got Riot Fest in the mind. We were just talking about Riot Fest. Um, probably the albums that we are most excited to see live, uh, but some uh, albums I think we're going to keep for another time. I feel like doing Black Parade should be a thing outside of this yeah. series, et cetera, et cetera. But like, that's a fun thing we're doing. So please listen to that album. And uh, when you listen to that album, when that episode goes live, and also, if you have any response to this uh, week's episode and give us your thoughts and feelings and emotions about Brendan Urie, and if you also want to hit him with hammers, use hashtag SoEmoPod on Twitter. We will see it and we will respond and love that we have uh, audience engagement now. And you're not just like, you're not just being subjected to our thoughts. We want to hear your <laughs> thoughts too. It's true. I do. It's true. And now, properly, formerly, au revoir. We'll see you later. Bon revoir. You don't ever have to hear us talk bon about Brendan Au revoir. There we go. <laughs> okay. I took several years of French. I um I was speaking to some people from France this week. They were customers mm-hmm. in my store, and at the end of hobbling through this awful conversation it, with my broken French, I was like, um, "Je suis désolé, ma français c'est très mal." And the guy just looked at me and said, "Yes." But it's okay. Um, That's so sweet. Yeah. Yes, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay. Thank you. Merci. All right. <laughs> anyway. All right. Au revoir. <laughs> Au revoir. Not bon revoir. Yeah. Bonaparte. <laughs> Simone Beau revoir. <laughs> okay. We gotta go. Bye. We gotta end the pod. <laughs> All right. Bye. Kung Fu Grip. Kung Fu Grip. As you can see, I had to use my uh, judo on Gerard. Yeah, I see that Gerard's actually gone to pieces here during this interview. Sometimes it happens. I just got so emo, I fell apart. That's what actually happened. You got that sad? That's... 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Andrew, Andrew, what are you doing? Oh, hey, Marn. Uh, So I'm playing through an alternate reality game, and there's a number station puzzle that we just can't solve. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so I tried everything else, and I figured that the best way to solve it would be to get into its head and think like a number station. I've been saying numbers into microphones for hours. Okay, well, I I think I have a better idea. What's that? You could just listen to the Argonauts podcast. Every two weeks, I could let you know the ins and outs of old args and give you a deep dive on how they were created. Uh, Do you think we could, like, have a nuanced discussion about game-making philosophy and how cultures around games have changed as well? Yeah, and you can definitely continue to fail to solve old args along the way. Well, it sure would be cool if that was a podcast you could find to bung with a bunch of other great shows over on the Moonshot Network. You know, it sure would. <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for the invite. Uh, anyways, I'm going to get back to this, though. 23. 19. Okay. 